This episode of A Conversation With is sponsored by In Search of the New Compassionate Male. For more information, visit newcompassionatemale.com. Hello, world. It's me, Dennis. And today I get a chance to revisit and renew and rebuild and build up my relationship with Simon Cohen. Hello, Simon. Good morning. Good morning. Today is Roots Day. Tomorrow is Remembrance Day. And you had told me before that this was in remembrance of your father. Well, yes, even though he is very much alive and kicking, um, it's uh, it's his birthday tomorrow, which beautifully coincides with Remembrance Day, because one thing I may have many qualities, but one of them (laughs) is not a good memory. And uh, my mum always used to say to me that I'd forget my head if it wasn't screwed on. Yes. <laughs> so what was that about? I mean, because here's the thing, Simon, I do <laughs> see your memory, but it's often because we, we've, we've said this about Einstein, that he would be interrupted on the way in Princeton. He would pull over a student and say, do you know where I was going? But it was a preoccupation in his consciousness that had to do it wasn't a specific term of memory Mm. well i will take that and use that einstein wisdom for my own next time i am accused of forgetting something (laughs) i will say i am too too preoccupied with the present and my consciousness is in overdrive right now so you'll have to excuse me if i if i don't subscribe to your 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 limiting and limited <laughs> version of what happened in the so-called past. Yeah, yes. I will go with that. Thank you. Um, but my dad's birthday, I have not forgotten because it is on Remembrance Day, and I would like to um, to start, if I may, uh, to to start with a remembrance, not only of those whose lives were lost in yes. many past and indeed present armed conflict and unarmed conflicts around yes. the world, um, but to honour my roots and our shared roots, uh, yes. parents, their parents and our ancestry, without whom none of us would be here. No. And, and whenever I get carried away and my consciousness gets preoccupied <laughs> and I become forgetful, when I do take a moment to pause and ring a bell or light a candle, um, to remember that simple and beautiful piece of wisdom that I am the product of thousands of years. I yes. am sitting on one branch of a beautiful family tree, and we are all part of a network, a forest of humanity. Yes. And that's when I do take the time, as we're doing now, just to pause and reflect on that. It, it can take away some of the heat, some of the weight that our, our news media often imposes upon us. That's right. And when, when we have a news media and me, I am certainly part of it. And I, I own my own part of it that says, mm-hmm. when I was when I was back during uh, when I first got into the media, the, the phrase was, if it bleeds, it leads. So now that we get into the uh, 2020 and, and getting microseconds of mm-hmm of keeping you on the page, it means that we exaggerate what is going wrong and completely subsume 
what is going well when what is going well is the the huge, the cooperation, the collaboration is really where the meat is. Yes, although you know, I I also heard that that's that saying when I entered the media, as well as when it when it comes to truth, the violent makes a killing, um, or when it comes to when it comes to violence, the media makes a killing. But when it bleeds, it leads. Well, with my wife's work, um, with Kate's work, I yes. Someone once said to me. Um, uh he introduced he was talking about his wife in let let's call her Beryl. And he said Beryl. Oh, I love that name. Yeah, why not? Let's just go with that. And he said, My wife Beryl, no, sorry, Beryl, my wife. Her name, her identity comes first before her relationship with me. And that's something that I, I try to to remember. So Kate, my wife, with her menstrual cycle pioneering work yes. to bring back the um the blessing and the wisdom of that which bleeds yes. i'm thinking when i hear when it bleeds it leads come on bring it on let's lead with the menstrual cycle let's lead, <laughs> with, blood. Let's lead with the broken heart that bleeds as well the you know are the shattering the pain but not not necessarily the the pain of um sensationless yes um pornographic um uh the commodification of pain but the opening up of our humanity the, the letting go of a need to be a certain way the pain the grief yes that, that, that comes with letting go of our former selves if it bleeds it leads let's reframe that to something <sighs> beautiful and brilliant but that's what you do. What that's what you do always. What I see in all of your what ifs, it's what if we reframe it. What if we reframe what is going on and reframing now is is reframing taking us back to you as an adolescent because I want to know where this came from. This these roots, these ideas, this mm. this idea of thinking about things differently. Uh, all right, so you're an adolescent in London, right? And you're eight, and, and you're 18 before you're about to go off to theology school. Yeah. Now, before then, as you were in that that 13 or that 12 to to 18 range, what was that like? What was who hmm. was Simon during that time as you were developing having testosterone? go through your brain, go through your body, getting into learning what the relationships are and, and people are and negotiating those shoals. Mm, thank you. Well, in order to understand and for me to understand that period of my life, we need to go back a little bit further because my parents were, um, they got divorced when I was about eight years old. Yes. And it was under pretty traumatic or what I experienced as traumatic circumstances. Did you did you have that were you aware of at six and seven that there was having gone through that myself, mm. that there was turmoil in the home, that there was angst going on did that <laughs> did that did that uh, did that get into your awareness well well this is the thing you know we, we started this conversation talking about memory 
I can remember so little of my childhood. And I like erase tapes. Yeah, I I I have a a couple of handfuls of memories of my whole childhood. I don't remember a single argument between my mum and dad. My sister, who um, is nearly three years older than me, she remembers them arguing all of the time. Uh, and I remember nothing. I remember very little. I've got two or three silly random memories of that of that yeah. period of my life. I do remember very clearly the circumstances around their splitting up because I was witness to to some of that. Um, and and so what the period from when I was 11, 12, 13 and onwards saw me living with my mum, my now, or my, he's now my former stepfather, mm-hmm. but with this new man, um, someone who wasn't my dad, um, who in a, in a different home, in a different setting, and with my sister who at the time um, didn't really want to be there and didn't approve of the circumstances around my my parents splitting up as well, and and so it was challenging. And I, I I'm just wondering, um, doing some armchair self psychology with you right here in the in the precious present, whether as part of my reframing, as you as you um, as you asked whether part of that is rooted in my my struggle to mm-hmm. reconcile what I was hearing the the um, and my struggle to reconcile what was happening to me and around me yeah and my refusal then and now to succumb to a narrative of victimhood and to seek and see blessings and wisdom and opportunities in what was happening and in the people that I cared most deeply around about, yeah. which is my family. Exactly. So what was attracting you? How did, how did theology come into your awareness? What, how did you relate to a, high, a power greater than, than you are? Uh, so many of my British friends mm. uh, ha- come from a strain of the last thing I want to talk about is, is theology or religion or, or, and, and this, but yet it's something that, that attracted you or what was your sense of, sense of a, a power greater than you? Yeah. Well, I, I, one of my few memories from childhood was sitting with a book that was almost as big as me which was around bible study bible stories and i was just i I, it was just fantastic it just really captured my uh imagination and i i felt that it was um and is um the most juicy um part of life is to explore who am i where have i come from what happens when we die yeah what happens when i die i know and and so i was really excited by that um and 
at school when I was 15, 16, religious studies was my favorite subject by far. And bear in mind that I was never religious at all. I, I was brought up in a Northwest London Jewish household <laughs> and um, I had a bar mitzvah yeah. because that was a thing that, that we did. It was childcare. And also it was um, something that my, my friends did as well. I loved it. Did you go to uh, Temple? Yeah, yeah. And, and study the and, and study yeah. and yeah. I studied. I, I learned how to read and write and sing uh, Hebrew um, um, from the scrolls, and I loved it. Actually, I loved it um, completely. Accident, accidentally, I loved it. Um, but I was also a bacon sandwich eating Friday night going out Jewish kind of person. It was sure. more cultural um, tradition rather than something that was in my heart. Exactly. I didn't necessarily subscribe to it. Um, at the same time, I had this fascination with big questions. And when I was 15, 16, religious studies was my favorite um, subject, but it was not on offer at the higher education level, A-levels we yeah. have in, in, the, in the UK. And so my teacher said, because I said, I really want to study this at A-level. And they said, well, if you can get enough people to, um, to agree to study religious studies, then we'll offer it as an A-level. So here was born my first ever <laughs> campaign. Uh, how hard could it be to get... You know, 20, 30 um, boys who couldn't care less about religion to care less about religion or study religion. It turns out fairly difficult. So my first campaign was an absolute flop. And it, it would, you know, I failed miserably. I would love to, wouldn't you love to have that conversation? Wouldn't you love to have it? I would love to how you were how you were selling this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I would have loved to have taken some of my uh, experience in the communications and campaigning world back and had a sit down with, with fifteen uh, year old Simon. But it so it wasn't available, and I did some other A levels, and and nothing really. When I was looking at university at college courses, nothing really tickled my fancy. And yeah. then I saw this word theology and i did not know what it meant i had no idea and so i remember being in the sitting in the career center and i i got a dictionary and i looked it up and it spoke about the study of god and i was like what could be more fantastical and extraordinary and interesting than that and so i went for it and it it, it's really a, a course that you know, 98% um, don't believe a statistic that I say, by the way, it's, yeah. it's plucked from thin air, according to 64% of my friends. Um, yeah, so 98% of theology um, students <laughs> study because they want to, you know, be members of the cloth, you know, to, to join exactly. the priesthood or, or be a rabbi. For me, it was never in question. I just loved 
the subject area. I loved the questions that they were asking, a deep exploration. And I wanted to get some answers. And yeah. I naively went into this three-year course thinking, okay, I'm going to get some juicy answers. And uh, <laughs> stop press. All that happened was I, I got more and more questions and ah now their success and well, anyone yeah. who would who would looking back on it they would go you you got it that was the goal the goal yes a love affair with the wisdom of not knowing a love affair <sighs> with mystery with magic with the wisdom the you know the gaps between the oh. and and you know what i i whenever anyone sets something up in any kind of binary way or wants to know the answer of something, yes. it bores me, Dennis. Me it really does. Too. It bores me. I am much more interested in questions than I am answers. Oh, I'm and so glad to hear you say that, Simon, because I am exactly the same way. When someone tells me, what was the most important event? What? I'm sorry. There are... The, the, I can give you 50... Uh, important events but i cannot give you the yeah how about what does important mean to you yeah what's thank of most, you what's of most value to you in the experiences that you've had in your life what has given you a sense of enrichment you know exactly. and, and, and the things in in you know even though we've just had the results of the presidential election we're still in a in in a in a politically polarized environment, not just in the US, in the UK, and, and far beyond. What we can get around is not answers of red, blue, Brexit, Remain, any of these other things, these simp overly simplistic answers, but we can get, away, around, get together around questions, around yes. what's of most value to you. What's your favorite childhood memory? If indeed you have any. <laughs> but exactly. these, these are questions that get to beneath the surface to meaning, to meaning. Yes. And I believe that when we scratch beneath the surface of significance, when we get deep to our heart's longing, our heart's yearning, our longing to love and be loved, when we get to that space of complexity, of not knowing, we are in a shared space, in a safe space. We are around the fire together. Yeah. And from that space, from that foundation, we can truly begin to make progress in coming together. Not this platitudinous soundbite of, we must all come together now. Well, how? It's only through having those courageous conversations, through asking the big questions that we can really become, you know, begin to come together. <sighs> I know one of the questions that I've been asking, Simon, that I want to know is certainly in the United States is what is enough? Mm. In your life, in your life, have you, have you, I ask people, mm. have you determined, for example, money-wise, that you would know if you reached this particular plateau, if we were just mm. talking from a dollar or pounds standpoint, that, that you would know that you had enough? And is, mm. does that have meaning? Mm. Well, there, I mean, there's an emerging uh, um, philosophy around the economics of enough to explore that very thing. For me, however, uh, what it means to me is the question, am I enough? Because unless... Oh, that's so much better. Thank you. 
unless I feel enough, unless I feel worthy of love, yes. then I'm going to seek from the outside to fill in the gaps in my own bleeding heart. Thank you. We know that from every addiction study. We know that from every, every single, that there is nothing that can fill this inner void. There is nothing I can ever look for outside of myself that will ever fill that place. Mm. And I've tried it. <laughs> I know. I have. I have. I've, I've, I've been on a, just strictly speak, you know, for the, purposes of market research you understand you know oh, of course that yes would... me too i i i have only I, i'm only doing this as research i mean <laughs> that's it when i was you know as a 17 year old um <laughs> found myself around a circle of old men uh, at gamblers anonymous yeah thinking you know like, how the hell did i get here what exactly. what is going on um i went through and only until recently um have stopped looking to the outside to help me feel and be enough and and in in very strict technical terms what is enough is our basic human needs to be met Yes, I think it's so important to discern and differentiate between wants and needs. Yes, it's very easy, and and it happens so much in in common parlance. Common parlance isn't in common parlance, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it? It happens so often, you know. Oh, I've have you seen that phone or house, whatever? I really need that. Yeah, and we let it go, and I've let it go before, but let's not let it go. You do not need that. I do not need that. Yeah. A desire. I need to have food. I need to have air. I need to have water. I need to have shelter. Mm -hmm. These are our basic human needs. And it's one thing to, first of all, to rationalize that and to say it yes. and to believe it. It's another thing to make choices yes. that honor that. How many choices am I making when I, you know, when I'm feeling a little bit tired, or Kate and I have just had yep. a little argument or something, and I find up. mindlessly browsing to Amazon, for example, you know, just to go to a, you know, a click one, you know, quick one-click purchase will will give me a quick dopamine hit to to fill that that uh, <sighs> yeah. That's oh, quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Something else will arrive tomorrow to yeah. help me feel enough. Or, 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 oh, oh, those Facebook likes. It's like they're little mini orgasms. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about you watching any of my videos now. <laughs> just with, with, with that. Just <laughs> yeah. There, there we are. With every share, with every, with every like. But it, it, it it's true. And of course, with the you know the algorithms you know the way in which these these um these these systems are designed yes are very very clever i remember i think the the most responsive advert of all time you may you may remember it this tv ad of a a bouncing ball going down one of the famous hills i think in san francisco and the reason why 
it was so responsive is because it had us viewers following the bouncing ball and nodding our heads, nodding our heads, tacitly agreeing with the message from um, um, from the media. Now, this was 20 odd years ago. Now, the algorithms and, and what the mainstream media know about us and understand about how our how our decisions are made how our, our deepest longing is manifested oh, yes. in our online activity they know these things i know and, and they know them before simon they know them before i have gotten them to my conscious awareness because by the time i get my, to the conscious awareness something shows up on my phone in one of those suggestions or whatever but but apparently they they were able to have predicted my behavior my the, the thought that was going to be coming into my head Yes. Into my awareness. And however, however, once we know that, when we, uh, when we are encountered by something that the algorithm pops up into our consciousness, <laughs> if, if we are aware of that, yes. then what an interesting and curious insight into what Facebook or whatever thinks that I might want. Yes. And, and what it cannot predict is the potency of the power of the pause mm. so that when when this pop-up comes or this advert comes and it says oh have you considered this latest whatever um this latest microphone this latest thing for podcast whatever it might be ah so it thinks that i want that do i want that why oh. did i do that and with that sacred chance, listen in mm. myself, tune into my own voice, my own heart, and let's see what that is predicting. Let's Beautiful. see what that says. Yes. And then the ring, every time I hear my phone um, ting with a notification, instead I hear, and I take a brief breath in. Every time I see an advert pop up, take a breath in and a breath out and I tune in. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not live this day in, day out, but I'm giving myself and I'm giving you and others a reminder that this is the opportunity and the potency with pausing and that there is no algorithm to hack into that sacred voice, that whisper no. of conscience. No. That, that boy who's seven years old, who witnessed oh. what he is, who is yearning and longing for love, there is no algorithm that could possibly predict what, that will, what will come out of that pause, that silence. And there is a way not just to reframe, but to reclaim that power. I am not, I refuse to be a powerless pawn in some algorithmic chess game of no. a few rich white dudes in, in yep. Silicon Valley. I refuse for my life to be reduced and diluted to that. Let me concentrate my power. Let me concentrate my force. Yeah, and let us all, we are seven and a half billion unique uh, mosaic pieces in, yes. in the mosaic of life. All of us essential, all of us unique. Matty J.T. Stepanek, the late 13-year-old great poet and peacemaker and philosopher, mm. he said we are all gifts, each and every one precious gifts in the mosaic of life. 
Yes, we are. And so an algorithm can try and say, okay, Simon is like a 35 to 44 <laughs> ABC one living in UK, likes Ted and Obama and Dennis and listening to podcasts and Radio 4 and will put me into some profile. You cannot possibly encompass all that I am. How no. dare you? No, How dare you? in no way not can they, but however, they can be as seductive, but they cannot if we reclaim the pause. Reclaim the pause. And that pause, you know, the, the, the beauty of music lies not just from the notes, but the spaces between them. That's what music is. It's the spaces between the notes. Oh. And so every single time someone says something that really gets on your nerves or you see something yes. that feels that this is taking away from my energy and I'm going to snap, I'm going to let anger take over, reclaim that pause. Yes. Take a moment to connect with your body. And as I do that, it creates that spaciousness in my body and it allows my thoughts to catch up with my body. It allows me not to, Jenny Stepanek, Matty's mother, who is also great and with us to this day, she says, there's a world between reacting and responding. Yes. And there's a, the difference between reacting and responding is the pause, it's that silence, it's the gap between the notes, it's the clause from one space to another. And great wisdom keepers and the great teachers know the power of pause. When we look at someone like President Obama, yes, it is their pause. It is the moments, the silence that communicates as much as the word itself. How as a species in a world of 24-7 communication, can we not just be comfortable with a pause, but invite those pauses in our daily lives, around the dinner table, do we fill these moments with more noise because we've become uncomfortable with our own presence because we're not enough and I need to feel enough with more screens, more tabs, more alcohol, more gambling, more this, more that, or can I pause? Can we all pause? And what if? Yes. What if every single day I pause? And the moment that I wake up, and I've been doing this for the last two weeks mm. since a retreat that I've recently returned from, I pause. And before I go into the world and I say hello to my children or I say hello to my phone, I say hello to my own thoughts and I say to myself, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of life. I am worthy of feeling all that there is to feel. That is my pledge to myself. And while I say that to myself, I am saying I am enough. Yes. And while I am saying that I am enough, I am not projecting a not enoughness into the world because that is deeply harmful. Yes. When even well-intentioned people who are even in the social entrepreneurship and social change space, they go out into the world. And I was one of those people. I set up a company, for goodness sake, yes. called Global Tolerance. I mean, for goodness sake, global domination. That was 24-year-old that was Simon, 24-year-old me saying, I am not enough. I don't feel enough. I'm therefore going to try and make the world feel enough 
just to try and make myself feel okay about myself. Oh, <clears throat> that that's um, that's stunning, and and I love the the idea of instead of getting into the binary state of uh, good bad enough not enough to be able to say that I'm on somewhere along this journey from zero to absolutely completely nothing to one absolute at one moment atonement enlightenment total I'm somewhere along this journey mm. and so if I can move a tiny from zero to one somewhere along this gradient if I can move, if I can take a breath, as you said, I wish I, I'm so glad that we have this on video because any of the people that will see this, when you went through that process inside of me, something let go that I didn't even know I was holding on to, Simon. I mean, something when you said pause, when you said, when you said take a second before you did it, I did it. I actually went inside of myself and something just went, ah. Hmm. And so I'll actually be able to see myself go through that emotionally and spiritually. It's really to see that at a very deep level when that happened. It was so powerful to be able to see what that to, to see that happen. So that moved me on that gradient, moved me a little bit, and that to me is the this one step at a time, one day at yes. a time, moving yes. a little bit toward that on the journey. That's it. And now Kate's. Uh... Kate, my wife, her root teacher uh, in the menstrual cycle work is uh, called Alexandra Pope. And she talks about uh, deep rest. And yes. every month with every cycle, when we're feeling, oh, I haven't rested enough, I haven't, you know, I'm not doing enough. Yes. One percent. If, if every, with every cycle, with every month, just one percent, just do your one percent. So even if it is... I feel useless. I'm being a rubbish parent. I just yep. snapped at my children. I'm eating crap. I'm doing, you know, all of these things. Inner critic, louder, louder, yep. louder. Even if it's one breath. If that is my 1% for today, that is, I am enough. Now, I believe that yes, it is absolutely a journey to recognize and realize that I am, you are, we are enough. At the same time, I also believe that it is objectively true that every single one of us are innately enough. Yes, yes, and it's that so realization, our, the journey yes. to that, to the, to the realization of what already is. Yes. We are on We're not own. making it. We're not making that. It's it's a you know like 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 Marianne Wills, Williamson titled her book "Return to Love." We're actually returning to the state of who we are. Yes, and and it's it's a revelation. You know, I the, I I am about to embark on my own journey of um, of launching a course. Yes, called Speak, called Speak Out. Yes, I, tomorrow I, on a, on on November the eleventh, and which people who listen to this, this is it's so neat to be able to talk about the past when somebody will listen to it when they've already when what has happened has already been done. Isn't that awesome? Uh, Zen Buddhists um, don't subscribe, as you probably know, to the the linear uh, perspective on time. They just <laughs> they don't think of past, present, future. Like it's just a time is just a perpetual series of now moments. 
So whether this is the past, the present, or the future, we're wonderful, now. wonderful. Now, yes, now. now the now, now, now the now. And so, a, a central part of, of of this journey, which is to listen in, find your voice, and speak out, and yes. it's to create something called a revelator pitch. So it's like an elevator pitch, but from the heart. It's something that reveals your deepest sense of purpose, and and this is this is something that that. Um, that has often frustrated me in the peace building, and I said peace building. Yeah. In the peace field, it is not a peace building field. For this very reason, peace is not felt built. Peace is not built. It is revealed. Peace, our, mm. our, our state, when every single one of us take that potent pause, that breath, Behind those clouds, those storm clouds of emotions, is clear blue sky. Clear blue sky. And regardless of the, the weather that swirls around the mountain and whether or not it's covered in snow or ice or lashed by rain or wind, there's still that mountain state. That is our innate state of being, in my view, in my experience. Peace is not to be made, it is to be re revealed. My potency, my purpose, my vision for a better world is not something to be made up. It's not lipstick on a pig. It's not something to be, just to be, um, it's not spin, you know, that's not the world and the purpose of media. It is to reveal the extraordinary that is already there. Mm -hmm. And so my purpose, part of my journey with this, this course that I'm running with, a, with a, a beautiful group of human beings who are extraordinary, um, uh, uh, what are they to me? Brothers, brothers, kindred spirits, souls who are courageous and willing to not mess about in the shallows of conversation, but to have those courageous conversations about what this life is all about. That's what they are to me. This course and this journey is around listening in, finding our voice, not my parents' voice, because this is the thing, is that my inner chatter, my inner critic, <laughs> when I really tune in and I listen, I think, is that actually me? Is that me that's talking there? Yeah. Who says, no, don't be stupid. Oh, you're such a rubbish parent. Is yes. that me talking? Is that a, the media talking? Is it the media's voice who hold Whose up? Whose voice is it? The, the parental pedestal of perfection. Yes. No. Is it my parents' voice? Is it my friend's voice? Is it the you know, someone, the school bully, bully's voice. Yes. Wherein, within all of this, this interconnected web of experience over the last 40-odd years, where is my voice? One that I can say is truly mine, that I can truly get behind. And that when I, regardless of whether you like me, whether you approve of me, whether you feel I am enough, this is who I am. This is my story. This is my voice. And how many of us can look ourselves in the mirror or 
or look our loved ones in the eye and say that we are speaking and communicating from that position of real knowing, that knowingness of authenticity through pain, through beauty, through happiness, through everything. I've been able to disentangle my parents, my community, my culture, and identify that which is, that makes me uniquely me. How many of us can do that? Well, all of us can do that, all of us. And I'll give you a clue. It starts with, it starts with that sound. The pregnant, potent power of the pause. The most productive time that we will ever make is in saying nothing. It's not in answering questions, it's through asking powerful questions. If I can ask myself, why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? What is of most value to me? When I ask these questions, when we all ask these questions, we begin to discover words and ideas of beauty that I can only communicate in my own way. And Dennis will have his own Dennis way of communicating them. And we'll have our own stories from childhood our pain, I will be able to share my vulnerability with you, to share my stories of heartbreak and heartache with you, because they are at the core of what makes me me. And I'm going to own my pain in order to open up the possibilities for myself, for you and for our world. And so this revelator pitch is not something I'm going to tell you, teach you how to give an elevator pitch in order to how to impress people. That's not it. I'm done with impressing people, Dennis. It's bloody exhausting. It's exhausting. It is, it is. It's exhausting. (laughs) Um, Even though it might get you excited if it gets a lot of likes, you know, but it's exhausting to impress, impress people. Yes. Instead, how can I listen in, find my voice and speak out, speak out for my truth? And the beautiful brilliant thing about taking that introspective approach because all change all sustainable sustaining change happens from the inside out always always is that all of our business goals all of our social goals for people to like us for people to want to be our friends for people to want to work with us all of them happen as a natural and essential byproduct of taking that introspective approach, from taking that courageous approach, where where someone says, so what do you do? And instead of answering with our what of, oh, I help people in public speaking and blah, 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 boring, boring. When someone asks, what do you do? What they are really asking, but they're too hesitant about doing so. What they're really asking is, are you someone where I've got some kind of common ground, do we have the same shared beliefs? Yes. When you ask me what I do, let me have the courage to respond with my why. And by doing so, should we practice it? Should we just see? See what happens? Please. Because in this game of life, which is show and tell, I find it's always better to show rather than tell. So let's let's just explore it and see. And when you ask me the question, 
I'll take that pause and we'll see what comes out. Why, Simon? I am on the path to discovering that I really am enough. I'm enough. And I've gone through 40 years of my life feeling that I'm not enough. And I haven't got much of my heart left. It's been broken so, so much. And when I was a child, I seemed, I, there was a moment in my time when my parents split up when I saw something that broke my heart. My perspective on what was true, my my safety net, my security blanket was taken away from me yes. and I felt exposed and I went through the next 30 years feeling that I wasn't enough. But through a powerful process of introspection, through surrounding myself with human beings, Kate, my wife, my dear friends, my family, wisdom keepers, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Gandhi's grandson and other people that I've worked with who have helped hold up a mirror to the beauty that lies within me. And Dennis, I, I believe that I am enough now. And that is why I make it my life's purpose now to hold up that mirror to other people, to lift them up for who they are, a, a irreplaceable, unique, beautiful human being worthy of love and being loved. And so the next time that you have that inner critic voice, or even an external critic, someone who tells you that you're this or you're that, I encourage you to take a breath, connect with your body, breathe in, and under, underneath that breath, you will come to the same realization that I came to as well, which is that is noise. What is not noise is that you are enough and nothing and no one in this life can ever take that away from you. Thank you, Simon, uh, for everything. <clears throat> for these moments, these pauses, these words, these play, this interplay. And <clears throat> I look forward to enjoying this, to re-enjoying this uh, as we're, as Clay is going to be editing this down and uh, in putting a beginning and an end on it. <clears throat> but that's just a beginning and end on this time. This is not a beginning and an end into what we're doing and what I'm learning. And you don't get to say how much I get out of this. I get a <laughs> chance. I get a chance to say that this was transformative, that I get a chance. So you don't get a chance to put any limits on how rich this experience is for me. I wouldn't dream of it, Dennis. And uh, at the same time, right back at you you don't get to to put any limits on what this means to me and you know you what you are doing what you are doing is sacred work what you are doing 
is asking powerful questions. You are the reason why I study theology. You are the reason why I am still fascinated by this life. You are searching and asking about meaning and purpose and not presuming for a second to know the answers to those questions. So what you are doing is sacred work and I am very proud that you chose me to have this conversation and explore this mode of meaning with you. Thank you, Simon. Thank you everyone for listening to a conversation with Mr. Simon Cohen, and we will see you next time. This episode of A Conversation With has been sponsored by In Search of the New Compassionate Male. For more information, visit newcompassionatemail.com.